Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. We'll be looking at um, actually two separate scriptures, but I'll open with reading Isaiah 55, 8 to 11. This is God's holy and inerrant word. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, we humbly now come before your word and ask that you, by the power of your spirit, would teach us. Give us ears to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I begin my ministry here at St. Stephen, I thought what I would do is kind of put all my cards on the table, as the saying goes, and share with you, preach to you from God's Word the things that I, I think are foundational or important. And I'll probably do that for a few weeks over the summer before we start a, a sermon series on the Apostle Paul. Now, this morning, what I want to do is share what I believe is the most foundational truth that we need to remember. Uh, when it comes to important matters in the church and how we go about church. And that fundamental truth is that no matter where a church is, what century a church may be in, there is one thing that is essential and one thing that never changes. God's church is built upon the foundation of God's Word. The pastor may come or, or go, but the Word of God must remain at the very heart of the church or it will quickly lose its way. And see, this is true for a specific reason. This is true because this isn't our church. This isn't my church. This is God's church. And as verses 8 and 9 teach us, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. Look at verses 8 and 9. We read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if we want to be sure to build God's church in God's way, then what we need is for Him to reveal His thoughts and show us His way. Uh, we, we can't instinctively come up with these ideas or, or do that which we feel is best. Uh, God must reveal them to us. And that, see, is exactly what He has done. He has revealed His thoughts and He has revealed them in His Word. Look at verses 10 and 11 now. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth... Make it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
See, it is this revelation, it's found in his word that I want to focus on for my, uh, my first sermon here, my opening sermon. See, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to living the Christian life, when it comes to doing the work of evangelism, when it, when it comes to figuring out how does the church and how should the church function, when it comes to worship, how we worship the Lord, I am proposing, because this is what Scripture teaches, that all we need to know is found in uh, the Scriptures. And so the purpose of this opening sermon is to remind you, that's something you probably already know, but to remind you that you can have complete and utter confidence in God's Word to do that which He purposes to accomplish. See, I want you to leave here this morning with this thought fixed in your hearts and minds that God's Word is powerful. One pastor put it this way. I want you to see that God's Word working through God's Spirit is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. And then he says, in fact, God's Word is the most powerful force in the universe. Now, you've been in the church long enough, you, you've been taught this, you know it's, it's true. But as obvious as it should be, if, if we learn anything through church history, we cannot take God's Word for granted. We cannot take it for granted. It's always been under attack. The church has often lost its way, uh, shunning God's Word and, and, and denying its power. Uh, the liberal church uh, denies that the scriptures God breathed and without error. Oh, they say it may be inspiring the way a Shakespeare play is inspiring, but it's not really inspired by God. It's no more than the word of man. And many evangelicals deny that scripture is sufficient. The scriptures can't be everything we teach. It doesn't have everything there. And so we have to add to the word of God. And so everything we need to accomplish in the church isn't taught us in Scripture, according to them. And then, and then more modern church actually teaches the problem really is that we just can't understand what it says. Um, it's not clear to us. Uh, we cannot really know what it means, so we have to kind of go out on our own and figure this all out. And if that isn't bad enough, churches that actually believe in the inspiring and errant Word of God, that, it's, that, it, that is God-breathed, as we're going to look at, that it's clear, they end up denying that truth with their actions. See, deep down inside, they, they don't truly believe that the Word of God and the preaching of the Word is sufficient enough or, or powerful enough to accomplish the building of God's church. And so what they do is they end up resorting, and you see this everywhere. I'm sure it's around here. It was surely in South Florida. They resort all manner of silliness to try to get people to church. Um, We live in an entertainment culture, and we know that. Nothing wrong with entertainment, and we'll touch on that in a second. But many church leaders believe that if we're going to reach people today, we have to be entertaining. Uh, Are you entertained yet? No, see, they have, a, they have adopted this worldly way of thinking, all in the name of reaching Christ, a noble cause. They want to reach people. Uh, they, but they have turned the church into a place where clients come and consume. I'm aware of a minister who, who left his church. He was serving. He wanted to plant a church, a very noble thing to plant a church. 
however, the motto of his church and the reason he left his church is because he said, look, we need to have a church that is fun. And a church ought to be fun. That was his motto. And so it was an entertainment-based church. Uh, he viewed the people, I don't know if he intended this, but he viewed the people as consumers. And see, when a consumer, or if you come as a consumer to church, then you must have something to consume and enjoy. Or what? You're not going to return. And so if your product that you're offering is not exciting, well, then people don't come back, and so they just move on. And so his argument was, we, we're going to build the church, we must have fun. And let's face it, most churches are not fun. You're having fun. No, right? Well, what do you think of that? How would you answer that? I'll tell you how I'll answer it. Here, I'll ask a question. In light of the fact of everything I just said about Scripture as our foundation, that it's important that if we're going to know God's ways, that we follow Him, let's ask the Scriptures where we're told that we're to have fun in worship and be entertained. Now, we don't have time to go through all 66 books and all the pages, so let me answer for you. Nowhere. It is not found anywhere. Ask yourself. Jesus enters the synagogue, and he, he stands up, and he reads the Scripture. He gives its meaning, and then he sits down. Would that qualify as fun? See, a church that thinks that way has actually lost its ability to be prophetic, to, to speak into a culture. They're unable to confront the world because they're just like the world. They may be entertaining. They may actually fill stadiums. We see it on Sunday morning TV for Christians. But they are not building the family of God because the Word of God is not their foundation. See, beloved, Christianity... Christianity, living the Christian life, as verses 8 and 9 tell us, is a life of turning from our ways and our thoughts to his ways and his thoughts. It's actually a life of repentance. It's a a life of submission, submission to Christ, submission to his word. It's not about fun or entertainment. They're actually wrong categories. There's nothing wrong with fun. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. Uh, go enjoy a movie if you want to be entertained, right? And if you wanted to be Christian entertainment, I hear this sight and sound place is really neat. So go there and be entertained. Even worship, praise God for the show. I believe it's Esther now. But see, church, worship, coming together is about redemption. It's, a, it's about reconciliation with God. It's about honoring the triune holy God and, and praising Him. Church is about hearing from God as Christ speaks to us through the preaching and the teaching of His Word. If you ever wondered, if you're asking yourself, well, is that really true? We're not allowed to have fun? Ask the persecuted church. Those who got up this morning knowing that any given Sunday they could be killed for worship if they said, well, the reason I take that chance is I just want to have a little fun. No. It's not. They gather. Why? Because they're desperate to hear from God. They want to hear His Word. They want Him to speak to Him through His Word. They, they thirst for His Word. They want to know His thoughts. They want to know His ways. They don't want to be distracted with, 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 with silly and immature worldly techniques and gimmicks. It's not about fun and games. 
It's about denying yourself, denying the things of this world and taking up your cross. It's about going to war with the the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's really about life and death. And so there's no time for games. The bottom line is this. If we want true power to live the Christian life, if we want true change to take place in our life, if we want to see people and culture and society truly transform then what we will do is proclaim this word with passion and boldness. We'll build the church upon the foundation of God's word. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of C.H. Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher to ever live outside of the apostles in Christ. And he said this, The church is about feeding the sheep, not entertaining the goats. And the only food... The only food fit to feed spiritually redeemed sheep is the Word of God. And so we need to put our hope and our confidence in the Word of God. In verses 10 and 11 here in our passage of Isaiah 55, give us three reasons why. Three reasons. We're going to look at this. First, God, because God's Word is a God-breathed Word. The second is God's Word is a life-giving Word. And the third is God's word is an efficacious word, and I'll explain what they mean. Let's look at each of them. First, verse 11, it's a God-breathed word. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. Now, we often talk about the Bible being inspired, and it is. Uh, But more accurately, maybe we should say it's expired. It's, It's breathed out from the very mouth of God. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, we recognize that God used human instruments. People actually wrote the Bible. The Apostle Paul actually wrote his books. But the Scriptures didn't have their origin in the Apostle Paul's thoughts, for example, in, their, in, in, the, in the writer's experiences or ideas. It, it didn't come from there. Peter tells us in his letter, and he points out that they didn't use gimmicks. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain uh, he says, this is my beloved, he, I mean, he recovered honor and glory from God the Father, speaking of Jesus, and the voice was born from heaven. And so he's at the transfiguration, and, 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 and God speaks, literally, from heaven. How many of you would like to hear that? You want to hear the very voice of God? And he speaks, and Peter says, he hears, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he goes on to say, look, we ourselves heard that word, born from heaven, we were with Jesus on the holy mountain. It was an amazing thing. And then he says this, but we have the prophetic, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Oh, I heard the voice of God. But what's more important is that we have the Word of God written in Scripture to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so in the Scriptures, Peter's saying, I heard the voice of God, but in the Scriptures we have the actual Word of God. And it's made more confirmed. It's more sure. We have it. We can pick it up. We can read it. He's revealed his thoughts. He's revealed his ways. And so when we neglect the Scripture, we neglect it at our peril. You cannot read the Scripture enough. You cannot study the Scripture enough. You cannot hear the, the, the word preached enough. We need to hear God's trustworthy and reliable, inspired revelation over and over again. It is a God-breathed word. That's first. Second, it's a life-giving word. Look at verse 10. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. Now, the idea of the word of God being like rain, as rain, would have made a strong impression on those who Isaiah is writing his prophecy. See, in the ancient Near East, rain was, or no rain, was the difference between life and death. If the rains came, they could be confident that their crops would grow and they'd have enough food for the coming year. And if the rains didn't come, uh, there's a good chance their crops would be lost and they were facing starvation. And, and so, Isaiah says that God's Word is just like that rain. It, it, it's just like it. When it comes to it, it, the Word, it brings life in abundance. But see, where there is a church and there's a famine of the Word, all it brings about is death and dying. Spiritual death, spiritual and dying. The Word of God is what brings life. This is what Jesus taught. Remember after fasting for 40 days? He goes into the wilderness and the devil tempts him. He says, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And we know Jesus' response. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4. Another example is found in Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's at the end of his ministry here on earth, and, he, and he's praying for the disciples. What's interesting about that, maybe we'll do a study on that soon. He, he prays as well for you, all those who are going to believe. Uh, he, he's about to depart from this world, and, and he says this, sanctify them. He's speaking to the Father, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Sanctification, growing in grace, growing in, in the image of Christ, we want to grow. And he says, sanctify them by the truth. That's how they grow. Thy word is truth. The word is truth. And so we must feast upon the word of God if we want light, a life of faith to grow, our life of faith to grow. If we want it to be sustained, if we want to mature, we need the word. It's a God-breathed word, and it's a life-giving word. Third, it's an efficacious word. Look at the end of verse 11. God says, my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, we learn that truth, how efficacious God's word is when it's spoken right in the beginning of the Bible. He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. It appeared out of the darkness. 
when God speaks, things happen. And it's the same word, the same word that effectively brought forth the physical creation. That word also brings forth the spiritual recreation in us. That's how we're born again. See, as we sit here in church and we hear the Word of God read and preached, God's gospel goes out and, and God uses it to recreate us. To help us to grow when we're attentive by the Spirit, of course. Um, and, and it repairs us. And the Word of God preached doesn't just proclaim life. When, when, when the Spirit is moving, it actually gives life. That's how you were redeemed. That's how you were born again. By the imperishable Word. And the Spirit applying the Word to your life and you got saved. The Holy Spirit works through the preached Word. It just doesn't just make salvation possible. Through the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit, it actually saves. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works through the preached Word. He never works apart from the Word. There's no greater illustration of the point I'm making uh, that Isaiah is making here than is found in Ezekiel. If you do have your Bibles, turn there. It's Ezekiel 37. It's a story of the Valley of Dry Bones that may be familiar to you. As you're turning there, a little background. Ezekiel lived in a time of great spiritual decline. Not much different than our own time. It was the 6th century B.C., and the Jews had been carried into captivity uh, in Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was a heap of stones. The economic, social, and moral infrastructure was gone. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 37 kind of summarizes the condition of them. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Talk about despair. They're, they're, having, they're in despair. How is a preacher to respond to that? What do you do when you have this group of people who are just in complete despair? We're all dried up. Our hope is lost. Uh, what's a prophet to do? How could he minister? Well, God wants to help Ezekiel do that. And so what God does is he brings Ezekiel by the power of the Spirit into the middle of the valley. And the valley that he went to was full of bones. You read about in verse 2, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And so the sight before him was sickening. It was, you know, it was, there was these dry, bleached human bones. It was gross. And, and he brings them there, God brings them there, and they're, they're scattered in this wretched valley of death, which was a picture of the spiritual context in which Ezekiel was, was preaching and ministering. And so that's what he faced. And so again, what's Ezekiel to do? Well, God brings him there. How is he to renew these spiritual interests in this group that are just a bunch of dry bones? And God gives the answer. And not to spoil it, but he doesn't say, entertain them. He doesn't say, go have fun with the dead, dry bones. No, his answer is the same answer he gave Paul. Preach the word. Preach. Turn to Ezekiel 37, picking up at verse 3. God is now speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy, preach, proclaim over, over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will 
cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will call, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Preach, preach the word. God says to Ezekiel, preach to a bunch of dried, dead, bleached bones. And what does Ezekiel do? He just obeys. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, preach, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. See, that's how true ministry works. As one writer says, People's lives are unwhole. People's lives are fragmented. People's lives are crumbling. Their values and beliefs do not fit together with their real needs of their lives. This writer says they're kind of like a skeleton whose bones have been scattered. And you see the imagery. And that is the description of many believers, let alone unbelievers, who are spiritually dead, dry bones. And so how do we reach them? It's the message. How How do we evangelize these people out in the world that have these, these crazy beliefs and, and their lives are falling apart. They're in despair. How do we reach them? What do we do as Christians? Well, yes, we love them. How do we love them? How do we disciple them? God answers Ezekiel that question. It's the same answer found in Isaiah. It was in the mouth of Christ and it was in the mouth of Paul. He says, if you want to love these people, if you want to care for them, then you need to teach them, preach to them. The word of the gospel. Again, that writer says, as people are exposed to the preaching of the word, things begin to come together. And over time, things that were confusing begin to make sense. I'm sure many of you can testify to this in your life. And at the time of God's choosing, new life is breathed from on high into their souls, and they live. And they stand like an exceedingly great army before the Lord. That is the power of God's word. See, God's word breaks into a situation, breaks into it and creates a new one. Bone came to bone, breath came into them, and they came to life. That is exactly what we need in our generation. We don't need more entertainment. There's enough of it. We need a church that is confident that the Word of God will actually do what God sent it out to accomplish, that it will not return void. And although it may seem to bring, not bring life as quickly as we'd like, it takes, God takes His time at times, a faithful, God-fearing church will never waver from that truth. That's God's Word taught and proclaimed is all we need. Now, I challenge you to name any book, any message, any philosophy that accomplishes so much by just reading it and teaching it and proclaiming it than the Word of God. You cannot. 
Only God's word has such power. Now, if you're sitting here and you're saying, well, that that sounds right from the scriptures, but why do so many people reject it then? Uh, Why are so many Christians bored by it if it has such power? Uh, I mean, if it's so powerful, why isn't everyone convinced of its teaching? And the answer is that God never purposed to convince everyone of its teaching. God never purposed to save everyone. Salvation is not the only purpose for which which God brought forth his word. There's another purpose. Salvation is one. The other is judgment. The Apostle Paul says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of death. Of life, Second Corinthians two fifteen. See, the word of God is always effectual. It is always effectual. It accomplishes what God purposes by it. It will either save you or condemn you based on your response. So, how do you respond to it? Do you accept its message that is found in the scriptures that no one else but Jesus can save you? Christ's death and resurrection. Do you accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him, or does that seem too exclusive for you? Do you accept that? Will you go God's way, or will you go your own way? That's the challenge. That's the line in the sand. Will you submit to God's word, or will you perish? That's the option that Scripture offers. See, the stakes are high when it comes to how you respond to this God-breathed, life-giving, efficacious word. Now, let me close in pointing out one more thing, and that is that everything we have just said about God's word is true of Jesus. He came down to earth from heaven as the most complete revelation from God. And God in the flesh, he came to bring life, right? He came to bring abundant life, delivering us from our sins. And when he speaks, his word is effectual. He goes to the tax collector, Matthew, in Matthew 9, and says, get up and follow me. And and Matthew had to do it. He got up and started following. Why? Because Jesus' word is effectual. It it, it brings into being what he speaks. Ask Andrew and Peter. They're just mending their nets. Fishermen just mending their nets. And Jesus says, follow me. And what do they do? They do. They have to. The word of Jesus is effectual. How about Zacchaeus? That wee little man up in, the, up in the tree, right? And Jesus says, come down, we're going to your house today. Okay, he gets down and goes. Why? He had to. Uh, he had to. The word of Jesus is effectual. That's Luke 19.5. What about Lazarus? You know the story of Lazarus? He's dead. His body laid in the tomb for four days. Jesus comes along, and with a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't do a dance and try to entertain Lazarus. He didn't stand there and wait for Lazarus to make his own decision. He spoke, and Lazarus came forth. He was dead, and he was alive. He had to come forth. Why? Because the word of Jesus is effectual. I could go on and on. With a word, the water turns into wine. With a word, he heals disease. The waves cease, we're told. Demons are cast out with a word. His enemies fall to the ground with a word. And so you can be confident, beloved. You can be confident that when Jesus says, 
If you come to him, if you believe in the gospel, you're not condemned, you can be confident. You are not condemned. He said it in his word. When he says, no one can snatch you out of his hand, you cannot lose that salvation that he's wrought in you through uh, Christ's life, death, and resurrection. You'll never lose your salvation. You could be assured of that. Why? He says it in his word. When he says that he goes and he prepares a place for you, you can be assured that the moment you die, you will be there with him in glory. When he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, be assured that the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? He said it in his word. And since all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable to us, and, and thus the word of Christ, when you read this word, it will not return void. It will not. You can be sure that every time you proclaim the word of God, when you go up to somebody on the street and you tell them about Jesus and they mock you or they laugh at you, you know, that old-time religion, right? Oh, oh, I'm tired of that. I mean, you get mocked and you get teased. You can know this, something they may not know. God's working. It will not return void. It may be for their judgment, but he's working. See, the word of God, Hebrews tells us, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4. And so here now is your uh, new senior pastor. Uh, Here's my first appeal. It's a simple one. Read, meditate upon, and study the Word of God. Let it shape your thinking. Let Let it shape your actions. Let it shape how you, how you view the world, your worldview. Let it shape your identity. Let it shape your focus. Let it shape your life. And when it comes to our church, when it comes to our church, let it shape our message. Let it shape our mission. Let it shape all of our ministries. Let the word of God be prominent so Christ is lifted up. Let's pray. Our great God and our heavenly Father, we are humbled that you have chosen to reveal yourself in your word to sinners who are in rebellion. We are so humbled that we can know you. We're so humbled that we can, we can worship you knowing how you would have us worship, all because it's revealed in your word and all because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see. I pray for those, Lord, who are still bound by their sin, dead in their sin, that you would release them by the power of the Spirit, that they may believe as well. In Christ's name, amen.